Christine and Jared. Thank you. Andrew uh, was unable to be with us this morning because I believe he's probably on a plane, I think, coming back from, uh, from Adelaide at the moment, but we have a short message from him. Thank you, Philip. It's easy to read the Bible and see good and bad characters. The good characters are the ones who God uses and the bad characters are the ones who generally oppose what God is up to. Perhaps people like the Philistines or Judas the betrayer. When we look more deeply, however, we can see that God uses typically normal people, ordinary people, sinful people, who could have also become the bad people, the way I've just been describing, except there's one difference. They have encountered the living God in a personal and a transformative way. Think of so many characters from the Bible, Abram, Jacob, Samuel, David, Ruth, Mary, Rahab, Mark, Paul, Peter, and plenty of others who encountered God and in doing so had their own personal turning point. Some had a number of encounters, while for others, one encounter was sufficient. In this series through January and February, the pastors and elders will each reflect on a character in the Bible and their turning point and how it encourages and challenges all of us in our journey of serving Jesus. Good morning. Well, it was a delight to be able to share in Christmas, of course, last week and uh, the joy that it is. It was hot, wasn't it? We uh, had the pleasure of having Christmas lunch at my sister-in-law's and then that evening uh, at our place with all of our kids and grandkids. And um, it was a busy time. We had uh, a couple of remote control cars running around the backyard and around our feet. Um, we had a, a glider that ended up on the neighbour's roof. And by the way, I've retrieved that. Um, we had a grandson fascinated with a bouncing ball. And uh, I think we failed again to get all the kids smiling just rightly in the family photos. Um, we had iridescent slime covering kids' hands, sort of oozing down, and uh, we had a grandchild with a new camera taking blurry pictures of just about everybody and everything in the house. Uh, my supply of batteries, I think, disappeared in new toys, and uh, we even had a grandchild that ordered a present for next Christmas. So we've got one present ticked off, uh, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Have you ever been pleased that you've been able to avoid some things in life? I certainly have. For example, I'm real happy that so far in my entire life, up till now that is, I've been able to avoid doing what I'm doing now, being responsible for preparing and delivering a message to you. So if some of you are thinking, I've never seen Alan up here before, you'd be correct. So am I comfortable about doing this? No because I don't see that this is what I'm cut out for or suited to or gifted in. This is why I had to carefully write what I'm going to share and why I'll read it to you so that it makes sense. As you've heard uh, from Andrew, um, a couple of months ago he invited us, uh, each of the pastors and elders, to contribute to a series in January and February about turning points. And I immediately thought, pass. In about that same exchange with Andrew, he also said, a strength of this series is that you could also share about how the turning point in a Bible character's faith journey intersects with your story. God then planted the following in my mind, I want your testimony. And also 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, always be ready 
to answer everyone who asks you to explain about the hope you have. God had me on his hook. I wriggled, but I had no excuse. Okay, God, I get it. In the church newsletter last week, Andrew also outlined this series and mentioned that you'll hear from the elders and pastors about some significant turning points in the lives of various Bible characters and about how those characters encountered the living God in a personal and transformative way. These will be positive turning points that we hope will encourage and inspire us all. So this morning, I will reflect on a turning point involving a Bible character and how that intersects with my own story. Actually, I'll reflect on two turning points involving three Bible characters. I've chosen these because I was at peace about these two turning points being the right place to commence this series and also because the story of my own faith journey and, just as importantly, your own faith journeys have a very definite place among these turning points that these three characters created. The turning points and the Bible characters that I'm going to talk about are also very familiar to you. You've heard about them many times before, so in that sense, I'm not going to talk about anything new. Also, the two turning points that I will outline are very different to the other turning points that you will hear about in coming weeks. For example, the first turning point in the Bible that I will outline this morning was awful for us all, whereas the second turning point was very good. But as we commence this series, it's the application of these two turning points to this series that's, that it's important to be reminded about today. In addition, I'm going to tell you four short stories about key people and events in my life that turned me around. Stories that together point a little to how I encountered the living God in a personal and transformative way. Am I comfortable about doing this as well? No, comfort is not the right word. More like fear that I will make a mess of it or lose it as I share personal experiences but I'm at peace about sharing my stories because they are what I have lived and they are about how God uniquely got my attention. By now, I'm aware that having said all this, that I've generated the risk that some of you, maybe many, may already be checking out of my message and thinking about what's for lunch. Please don't. As I've said, your own faith journeys have a very definite place in the turning points that I'm about to share. We all fit into them. So please stay with me. Please listen and look with your heart for what God is saying to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, my prayer is that you will help me to share a little of your abundant goodness to me in my life and how you revealed to me your great love. I pray that you will use what I say and that you will use the experience that we have with you this morning to draw us into a more deep relationship with you. Amen. The first two Bible characters that I'm going to speak about go back to the beginning. They are Adam and Eve, familiar indeed, but again, please don't check out and think about lunch. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the earth and the sky, the earth was empty and had no form. Darkness covered the ocean and God's spirit was moving over the water. 
Then in chapter 1, the start of verses 3, 6, 9, 11, 14, 20, 24 and 26, all begin with the words, then God said. Creation was created by God through his word. For example, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make human beings in our, like, in our image and likeness. And in th- verse 31, God looked at everything he had made and it was very good. When I'm outside and immersed in God's creation, when I'm upon a vast open landscape where I think I can see the curvature of the earth, where I'm deep in a lush green gorge where I can smell and feel the dampness and the coolness, when I see the amazing array of different birds and animals in creation, these are places and experiences for me that cleanse and rejuvenate my soul. Sometimes I wonder why this is. Maybe it's because of my upbringing on the land as a boy, but more about that later. Perhaps like me, many of you you may find that when you make something, design something, paint something, cook, write, repair or restore something, and it is a job well done, that it feels good, an accomplishment. You feel as though there's a bit of you in it. When that happens, do you often sit back and enjoy looking at or using it? But when something similar breaks or falls apart or generally does not turn out to our liking, we feel the opposite, disappointed, sometimes even hoping that we could start all over again. God's creation, including Adam and Eve, was very good to God. It was a joy and a pleasure to him. He could see a bit of himself in creation and in Adam and Eve. I wonder, what does being made in God's image and likeness mean? I won't attempt to answer that question. However, I like it that when I feel good about something that I create, it reminds me that I'm made in the image and likeness of God. And then the creation story continues in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God put the man in the Garden of Eden to care for it and work it. The Lord God commanded him, you may eat the fruit from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat the fruit from the tree which gives the knowledge of good and evil. If you ever eat fruit from that tree, you will die. But then something intervened and things changed in chapter 3. Now the snake was the most clever of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. One day the snake said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat fruit from any tree in the garden? The woman answered the snake, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God told us you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not even touch it or you will die. But the snake said to the woman, you will not die. God knows that if you eat the fruit from that tree, you will learn about good and evil and you will be like God. The woman saw that the tree was beautiful and that its fruit was good to eat and that that it would make her wise. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some of the fruit to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then it was as if their eyes were opened They realised they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made something to cover themselves. 
Then they heard the Lord God walking in the garden during the cool part of the day. And the man and his wife hid from the Lord, Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? The man answered, I heard you walking in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. God asked, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, You gave this woman to me, and she gave me the fruit from that tree, so I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, How could you have done such a thing? She answered, The snake tricked me, so I ate the fruit. A key thing that struck me about these verses was that the serpent convinced Eve to forget about all of the good things that she had and that God had provided her. Instead, he convinced Eve to focus on what she did not have. There is something in that for us all. Adam's and Eve's responses to God indicate that they wanted to shift the blame or that they felt that they had been led along, deceived or tricked. However, a telltale sign that they knew that they had done something wrong is that they hid and tried to cover themselves up. Again, there is something in that for us all to learn. Then the creation story continues in chapter 3, verse 14. The Lord said to the snake, because you did this, a curse will be put on you. And in verse 15, then God said to the woman, when you give birth to children, you will have much pain. And in verse 17, then God said to the man, you will have to work hard for your food. The ground will produce thorns. You will sweat. You will return to the dust. God judged the serpent first, then Eve, and then Adam. All three were allowed to live, but only the serpent was cursed. And finally, in verse 23, So the Lord God forced Adam out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. The eventual judgment was banishment from the perfect place to live in perfect relationship with God. Adam's and Eve's turning point was what God did not intend for them, for humankind or for creation. The consequence was awful for us all. But the outcome of Adam's and Eve's decisions and actions did not limit what God could do. His plan of what he would do in response is revealed in the Bible. This leads me on to the second turning point, and the third Bible character that I wanted to speak about today. Again, someone who is very familiar to you, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23 to 25, it says, Everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard, and all need to be made right with God by his grace, which is a free gift. They need to be made free from sin through Jesus Christ. God sent him to die in our place to take away our sins. We receive forgiveness through faith in the blood of Jesus' death. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 15, But God's free gift is not like Adam's sin. Many people died because of the sin of that one man. But the grace from God was much greater. Many people received God's gift of life by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. 
After Adam sinned once, he was judged guilty. But the gift of God is different. God's gift came after many sins, and it makes people right with God. One man sinned, and so death ruled all people because of that one man. But now those people who accept God's full grace and the great gift of being made right with him will surely have true life and rule through one man, Jesus Christ. So as, the, as one sin of Adam brought the punishment of death to all people, one good act that Christ did makes all people right with God. And that brings true life for all. One man disobeyed God and many became sinners. In the same way, one man obeyed God and many will be made right. Through Christ, God provided the opportunity for each of us to turn our lives around. The good act that Christ did for us all was, of course, that he took the penalty for everyone's sin upon himself to the cross. And he rose on the third day, having conquered death for all who put their faith in him. So what do these stories, these turning points say about me? What do they mean for me? Where do I fit what is my story? My journey to faith was not a single event or experience, although there are some that stand out. When I look back now, I see that my journey consisted of multiple events and experiences and people. Here are four stories that describe a little about my journey. Story number one, a little old lady. I grew up on my dad's and mum's orchard in Doncaster, not far from here. My dad, Harry, and my mum, June, were orchardists all their working lives, like my dad's parents, Stanley and Agnes, who were orchardists like Stanley's parents, Henry and Sarah, who were also orchardists like Henry's parents, Henry, William and Elizabeth, who began as orchardists in Doncaster in the mid-1850s. As a boy, I attended the Doncaster Primary School that little red brick school building that my dad went to, and likely his dad and his dad went to, still exists just this side of Doncaster shopping town. Like my siblings, when I was a boy, I sometimes walked to and from primary school in the 1960s. If mum didn't drive me, I could go to school usually by one of two routes, either cross country as the crow flies, across other orchards. That was fun because you could collect things, interesting things like stones and feathers. Or I could take the proper route around the roads. If I took the proper route from school to home, it would take me west from school down Doncaster Road, then right into Williamson's Road, and after a couple of kilometres I would end up at home. When I now drive around the Doncaster shopping town corner, I don't see a huge shopping complex. Instead, in my mind, I still remember the old red brick two-storey general store that used to exist on that corner. Soon after I walked out of school each day, if I walked the proper route home, I would pass a few houses in a row on Doncaster Road. Outside one house on fine days, there was sometimes a little old lady often tending her lovely flowers in her front garden. I was often struck by the fact that she always smiled at me and chatted to me as if she knew me. 
but I think I mostly just kept walking and didn't say much to her. Story number two, my wilderness years. Throughout my childhood and teenage years, mum and dad saw to it that I went to church with my family, to Sunday school, Explorers Boys Club. I also played in the church under 12s and under 14s cricket team and attended youth groups, all at our family church, the Doncaster Church of Christ, that is opposite the Doncaster Primary School I spoke about. I don't ever remember questioning why I went. I was just happy to do all that. I'm glad that I cooperated and didn't resist mum and dad. They knew what was good for me. My mum and dad built the foundations of my life that God used to draw me closer to him. But during my childhood and my teenage years, I never made my own decision to invite Jesus Christ in my heart as my Lord and Saviour. It's a strange thing to think about those years now. It was not because I did not believe. I would describe my state of mind at that time as more like just accepting what I heard or learnt or was told about God and his love for me. However, I did not act on it. Or perhaps someone had been praying that my heart would remain open to believe in God someday. I'm grateful that God did not give up on me during my years in the wilderness. Story number three, out on my own. Like everyone at the end of secondary school, important choices confront you. The outcome of one such opportunity was that I attended a course in agricultural science at Dukey Agricultural College in Northern Victoria. That seemed like a natural fit and reflected my upbringing and general interests. The college was set up as a boarding and teaching facility on hundreds of hectares of various types of farmland enterprise. The college had a library and lecture rooms, and as most of the students lived there, at least during the week, it also had a separate bedroom for each student in dormitory blocks, a dining room for all of your meals, a general store, and most importantly of all, a commercial laundry service where you could dump your dirty clothes and bed linen and magically they would return a few days later all clean and pressed, just like being at home. What more could a lazy young man want? One of the biggest issues to confront me from day one at college was that a significant proportion of student culture and behaviour was atrocious. It started with a form of orientation week run by the older students. I need not and won't go into details as I'm sure your imagination will suffice. At the time I didn't think of it this way, but now I realise that that was a time when I really needed God's care and protection and that I, that I also needed an escape from college culture. I'm so grateful that God did that, did both of that in three ways. The first was that in my first year at college, God also sent five other guys to college from around Victoria and all of us had varying degrees of awareness of God's love. Those five friends that I met at college soon became lifelong brothers in Christ. Every year since, Rosemary and I had a reunion with them, their spouses, and in the early years, their kids as well with our kids before our kids became independent. We had our 44th reunion recently. So here I was, out on my own for the first time at college, not yet a committed Christian, 
and vulnerable to making all the wrong choices in my life. During those years that I was at college in the late 1970s, myself and my five close friends mucked around and had a bit of fun. Silly fun, not degrading or destructive. It was our escape from college culture. The college grounds also included several homes for college staff, workers and lecturers and their families who lived on site. One of those families were the Whites, who had three young children. They were Christians who loved the Lord. My five friends and I were at the Whites' house often. We had Bible studies there. But at times, they probably wished that we just gave them some peace and quiet. The White family was the second way that God cared for and protected me and provided another escape from college culture. My five friends and I gained a particular reputation at the Shepherd and Baptist Church where we went on Sunday when we did not travel to our respective homes for the weekend. In fact, a couple of, couple of us had a short relationship with a couple of Shep Baptist girls and one of us eventually married one, not me. I met Rosemary when I returned to Melbourne after college. The Shepherd and Baptist Church was the third way that I experienced God's care and protection and an escape from college culture. While at college, one of my two brothers was engaged to be married. All seemed to be going well until I heard from mum one weekend when I rang home that my brother's fiancé had broken off their engagement and that my brother was struggling with understanding her decision and the consequences. My mum's description to me of my brother's state of mind following their breakup affected me in a way that caused me to pray by myself for the first time in my life. I cannot remember what I said in my prayers for my brother, but I can remember that I had a peace in my heart and a closeness to God that I had never experienced before. It was probably a few months at least that my brother was in a bit of turmoil following the breakup. Then one Sunday night when I was at college, I don't know why, but I chose not to use the phone booth in the student dormitories to call mum and dad. Instead, I walked several hundred metres down a quiet college road to another phone booth near some college staff homes. In that conversation, Mum told me that my brother had emotionally turned the corner from the breakup and was much better. It was dark when I left that phone booth, with just an occasional street light showing my way. It was dark when I walked back down that utterly quiet road to the dormitories. Not a single car was on the road. The sky was crystal clear with stars. Those moments, as I walked away from that phone booth, I could describe as the turning point of my life. One moment in my life, I walked to a phone booth as one person, had a conversation, and the next moment, I walked 180 degrees away from that phone booth, a different person. A different person that was in a much better state to begin to grow in a relationship with God. As I walked away from that phone booth, I had such joy in my heart and with gratefulness to God 
and I had tears in my eyes because he had answered my prayers for my brother. Soon after, or perhaps it could have been around the same time, I started to read a Bible for the first time in my life. I'd received that Bible years earlier in Sunday school. I began to read God's Word because I wanted to, because I chose to, and because I needed to know more about God. Story number four, the letter. I was baptised exactly 45 years ago today. I remember that because it was on New Year's Day, the 1st of January 1978. I remember the theme of the sermon on that day, it was goodbye yesterday, I'm living now. A few days after I was baptised, I received a letter from a woman whose name I did not recognise at the time. I still have her letter. It's got an 18 cent stamp on it. The letter's dated the 1st of January 1978 and is signed by Mrs Moffat. I'm glad that I kept her letter. I remember mum and dad telling me that they knew Mrs Moffat and that she attended our church. Dear Alan, it was a great joy for me this morning to see you baptised into Christ and then to see you receive the right hand of fellowship into our church. What a joy it would be for those who have passed on from us to know it all. It is something we will never know while here on earth. My mind went back over many years. Your grandfather joined the church, I think I am right, in 1907, and I gave long and, and gave long and faithful service and kept his interest in all church work to the end of his life. And I am old enough to remember your great-grandparents too and the interest they took over many years. I do pray that God will bless you and that someday and that someday if you are spared to look back over very many years every decision you make will be the better because of this one you have made. I can't remember what my reaction was at the time after reading the letter. I can remember that Mum then told me of an experience that I had and had told Mum about years before. It was an experience that I had when I was a boy walking home from school one day via the proper route. Mum said that one day I arrived home from school and told her that a grey-haired elderly lady spoke to me as I walked past her house and asked me if I would post a stamped letter that she'd written to someone by posting it in the letterbox outside that old red brick two-storey general store that used to be located on the corner where Doncaster Shopping Town now sits. I also apparently said to Mum at the time 
that the lady also gave me a lolly in appreciation of me posting her letter. And when I said this to Mum, I pr produced the lolly out of my pocket among the stones, feathers and other interesting things that I'd found on my way home from school and gave the lolly to Mum. Mum then told me that I then said to her that I didn't eat the lolly because the little old lady could have been a witch. To my shame, I do not remember thanking Mrs Moffat for her letter. I do not remember writing to her or seeking her out at church to thank her. I guess I was still an immature, self-centred teenager at heart who thought that he was a young man because he was actually 20 years old. In scripture, God tells us only a glimpse of what heaven will be like. Perhaps this is partly because our minds are unable to grasp all its glory, or perhaps God just wants to surprise us. But when I get to heaven, I would like it to be possible to recognise Mrs Moffat so that I can thank her for her part in my faith journey. But then again, being in the joy of God's presence in heaven is likely to mean that that will not be important or necessary for me or Mrs Moffat. Our focus will be on God and he will have already thanked Mrs Moffat in the best possible way. In case it's not obvious to you by now, Mrs Moffat, who wrote to me after my baptism, was that little old lady in story number one, whose house I would pass when I walked home from, from school along the proper route more than a dozen years earlier. The same lady who on fine days would often be tending her flowers in her front garden and who would often smile at me and chat to me as if she knew me. Well, she really did know me much better than I ever knew at the time. The band can now come up. So this is how I fit into these stories about Adam and Eve and Jesus Christ. About the, the tragic turning point that arose from Adam and Eve's decisions, but about the wonderful opportunity through the turning point that Christ provides. This is where you fit in too. My stories tell briefly of my past, the turning point in my life when I encountered the living God in a personal and transformative way. What's your story? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that despite the consequences for us of Adam's and Eve's decisions and actions, you had a plan. You sent your son Jesus to be our saviour, yet you gave us a free will to believe or not, to be, to be responsible for our decisions and actions because you want to know what is in our heart. Thank you for your great love for us, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Will you please...